This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Good morning, family. Everybody well and blessed? Full of the Lord? Come on, let's give our Jesus praise. Can we give him glory? He is King. He is Lord. It's so good to be here once again. And I want to thank Pastors Theo and Beverly for the honor and privilege. We thank God for pastors like that. Amen. This is my home church. This is where I was saved. And I know that many of us have testimonies just like the one we've seen. And we want to give God praise for bringing us into a home like this where the uncompromised word of God is preached and where we see lives transformed and changed for reality. Come on, let's give Jesus praise for that. Amen. Have you came expectant this morning? Have you came ready to receive? Well, let's stand together and let's pray and get right into it. Father, once again, what a privilege and honor it is to gather in your name as a family, knowing that you are here in our midst. Today, we've come to hear from heaven, to hear from you. And Father, I thank you for the privilege of being a voice to your word. And I don't take it lightly, count it an honor, and I'll make it known. I submit myself under your mighty hand, that by your grace, I may speak your word with clarity and accuracy. That you would take it forth and ignite it in every heart today, causing faith to rise and dispelling every form of fear. As minds are renewed to your word, understanding replaces confusion. I believe that each and every one of us today are transformed from glory to glory. For this we give you alone the praise and honor in the name of Jesus. Family, if you're ready to receive, would you shout amen? amen. Praise God as you're seated. Open your Bible at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We have just last weekend celebrated Easter, the Passover, the time that Jesus came and was sacrificed for your and my son and gave his life and then rose from the dead, proving that we are forgiven from all sin. And we know that by his blood we've been set free. And as you know, we have meetings everywhere around the world celebrating this wonderful weekend. And I was doing the same thing. I was preparing for the weekend. And I'd already prepared my notes and ministered on the Word and to, spoke in my life and just spent time with the Word. And then I was studying something else, totally different. And I was going through some notes and some messages and, and going through some scriptures. And I got to this scripture here, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And I was looking at that scripture and I thought, you know, to me it reads so obviously what it says. That Jesus was rich. There's a thinking out there that, you know, people if they want to be like Jesus, Jesus was poor. And if you want to emulate him, you should also consider poverty Something that's to be blessed. And when I look at this, I see that the Bible says Jesus was rich. He did become poor. But it was through his poverty that we could be made rich. And I'm busy looking and I thought, now how can people get this so wrong? Because there it is in plain sentence. And I suddenly heard this in my spirit. And I heard the Lord breathe in my heart. He said, that cost 
the blood of my son. And he was so emphatic about it. He, it was like, you know, you could hear. Now, have you know, God does not get offended. There's no offense in him. But if you can imagine someone that's indignant and, 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 and aggressive about something, that's how it came across. He said, that costs the blood of my son. And that tells me that God considers that scripture very important, that he put it into the word of God. And when I had a look at it and I saw what God was saying, that when you look at it, he's saying that Jesus was rich. And even though he was rich, he didn't hold on to that. He was prepared to become poor, that we who were poor could become rich. He was rich. We were poor. He became poor so that we could be rich. Everybody say the great exchange. And all of a sudden it opened up to me that this is not just, yes, yeah, we're talking about finances. We're talking about prosperity and provision. But how do you realize that is so many other areas that Jesus made a great exchange. That you and I don't have to put up with the junk the devil's been throwing at us. We do not have to put up with anything that the curse has tried to do in your life. No matter what happens to you, don't ever allow the devil to tell you. That God somehow is teaching you a lesson through this, somehow making you stronger, somehow making you better, because Jesus took it so that you didn't have to. Everybody say the great exchange. And you have a look over here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. The Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, when did Jesus hang on a tree? That was at the cross. At the cross, Jesus became the curse. Now, family of God, you've got to get a hold of something here. When you talk about the curse, we think about the blessing as well. Very often, people think of the curse almost like something that's powerful and that can be put onto you. You think about the curse, really, it has no life in itself because the curse is nothing more than the absence of the blessing. It's not like you can be cursed or blessed or neutral. You're either blessed, and if you're not blessed, the result is curse. It's like light and dark. Dark has no power in it. You can't create dark. You can't make dark. You bring a box of dark in you, open it up, the dark's gone. Light is the force. You notice that when you put the light off, what's the result? Dark. And when you put the light back on, does it fight to get back into the room? No, it immediately invades the room and all darkness is gone. God is life. Are you getting a hold of this? And life always exterminates death. And God is the one that gives you the blessing. And if you're blessed, you are blessed and no curse can touch you. You've got to get that. No one can put a curse on you if you're a blessed person. It's like trying to throw a box of darkness into a room. It's gone. So you are blessed. You're getting a hold of this. So Jesus had to become the curse. What does that mean? For him to land up cursed, he had to let the blessing go. Jesus had to lay down the blessing. Literally have it turned off. For him to be cursed. Now why did he do that? Verse 14. So that the blessing of Abraham 
might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Everybody say, the great exchange. Say this, Jesus was blessed, I was cursed. I had no blessing in my life. Then he became the curse so that I could be blessed. Oh, come on, give Jesus praise. Have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read this from the King James Version. I'll tell you why in a moment. Verse 21. For God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? So that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Everybody say the great exchange. Now notice the King James says that we might be made the righteousness of God. I know some translations say that we might become, which is true. If you become something, then you are it. But for me, the word become is more a process. Whereas the word here says that when Jesus was made to be sin, we were made. It's instant. There's an instant transformation. There's an instant transaction. There's an instant exchange. It's not something you become. Notice the Bible says that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made to be sin. Uh, he was made to be sin. He wasn't made a sinner. He was made sin itself. If you can imagine sin, now you know the devil has no life in him. He's, he's a liar. There's no truth in him. There's no life in him. Literally, the devil's existence, if I can put it this way, his life in inverted commas, is death. Death is his existence. Darkness. That's where he dwells within. And that's his very nature. And the Bible says that Jesus was made to be sin. He never ever committed any sins. And that's something, if we can renew our minds, it's going to help you tremendously in where we're going today. You did not become a sinner because you sinned. We were born sinners. We were born into a flesh of sin, into a sinful world with a sinful nature, and it was inevitable is that you as a sinner would eventually sin. Why? Because that's what sinners do. Sinners sin. So Jesus didn't just take on your sins. He took on that sin nature. He was made to be the very nature of sin. Never committed any sins. The Bible says he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. But he was made sin. Why? So that you could be made the righteousness of God. Oh, hallelujah. So if Jesus, who never committed any sins, was made to be sin then you, who never did anything to be righteous, was made righteous. You're not righteous because you were right. You were made righteous simply because there was an exchange. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say, today I am made righteous, not because I'm right or because I do right, because He made me right. Is that good news? Now, here's the next thing. Notice you are made the righteousness of God. 
the righteousness of God. God's righteousness. It's not even your own. It's God's righteousness. Now let me ask you, how much more righteous do you think God can be? Do you think he can be any more righteous than he is? All right. And you were made the righteousness of God. The same righteousness. Let that sink in now. Lift your hand and say, I thank God because of the great exchange. I have been made the righteousness of God. God is as righteous as he's ever going to be. And I've been made the same righteous. Therefore, I am as righteous as I'm ever going to be. In fact, I am as righteous as God. I love it. There's always a nervous clap when I say that. Because people are thinking, where did I miss the turn? I'm not talking about holiness. See, holiness is a process. Holiness is becoming more and more like God. We created in His image, but we know our nature is nothing like His yet. But we're moving in that direction. That is a growth process. That's a whole different another teaching. I'm talking about righteousness. Righteousness quite simply means right standing. Right standing with God. You have every right to be in His presence as what Jesus has. Oh, come on. you got to give Jesus praise for that. Everybody say the great exchange. Now look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now family, if we say he is the image of the invisible God, he's the image of our Father, what does the image mean? I mean he's made the same way. He's, he's exactly, well he's not made, he is. He, in the beginning he was, he's, in the, he's the word. He is in the express image of the Father. We have no problem with the idea that the Father is God and Jesus is God and they are of the same nature, the same ability. And you say amen to that. All right, so he's the express image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Everybody say firstborn. Now the moment you say first, you automatically imply there's a second, at least. Isn't that right? If you show up for a competition and no one else shows up, and then so they just hand you the, the trophy, well, there you go, it's yours. You can't say, hallelujah, I came first. Because there was no one else. Isn't that right? No, first means there was a, there's a second, and then a third, and there's a fourth. Amen? Just keep that in mind. So Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, for by him... All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Lift your hand and say, everything that ever exists was created through Jesus and for Jesus, including me. Hallelujah. Verse 17. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That in all things he may have the preeminence. What does that mean? It means that in everything, Jesus will always be first. Always. There's nothing that you will ever go through that Jesus didn't go through. No one can turn around and say, God, you don't understand. You don't know what it's like to be human. No, Jesus became human so that he would know. No one can say, I'm tempted with something Jesus didn't have to face. No, he was tempted in all things. In other words, whatever happens to you, Jesus has already experienced it. In all things, he has preeminence. And notice, the Bible says he is now the firstborn from the dead. From the dead. What does that mean? Well, people say, well, he was raised from the dead. Hang on now. So was Lazarus before Jesus. In fact, what about the guy back under the old covenant whose friends were carrying him to a funeral and then the raiders came and they threw him into the cave of Elisha and boom, as he hit the bones, he came back to life. So people have come back from the dead before Jesus did. What's he talking about here? He's the firstborn from the dead. The moment Jesus went onto that cross and he was made to be sin. How many of you know God cannot dwell in the presence of sin? And God is life. And the moment Jesus was made to be sin, God had to withdraw his life for Jesus to die. If God didn't withdraw his life, he would never have died. And the moment he withdrew his life, God is life, and he draws his life away, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus dies in his spirit, the same way that first Adam died. And the moment he died, he took on death itself, and then Satan, in all of that Death in that sin unloaded everything the curse could possibly give Jesus. Jesus literally became a portal to take in the entire sin of mankind. Can you imagine every sin that any human has ever committed? Jesus took the fullness of that, every single sin, and he became sin itself. Imagine every sickness, every disease, think of every leprosy and cancer and, and virus and bacteria, things that have destroyed and marred human bodies. If you take every disease that could ever exist in all time, all of it loaded into one human body. It so crushed Jesus that when you read the word of God, it says that when you looked on him, you could not recognize him as a man. He took on everything. You can't imagine every torment and worry and concern and depression and fear and, and people that have that are gone that, that are mad and, and crazy and wild mind and take every human bad, evil emotion in one human mind. Jesus is crushed down under all of this. And he's holding on the word of God and says, you will not leave me in hell. Why would he say that? Because at that moment, Jesus died, 
gave up his spirit and he went to hell and paid the price that you and I should have paid. And you got to get a hold of this. He went down to that lowest part. Can you imagine? Take the person who's committed the most evil, despicable. He's the sinnerest of sinners, sinners. This guy, how many you know there are different levels in hell? The devil is put into the bottomless pit. The person that's at the worst, how many you know if he called on the name of Jesus, he could be saved? How would that happen? Because Jesus had to go to that lower pit, the lower part. He had to, in all things, he had to have preeminence. And he descended so that he could at that time pay the full price that anybody else, no matter where they are, were free to call on the name of God and they would be saved. The name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And family of God, that's why when I meditate on these things, why God gets so strong about it. That's why when people say, you know, I don't know if Jesus went to hell. You better have let him go to hell. Otherwise, you're going to have to go. If he paid the price, he had to pay the price. Are you getting a hold of this? You don't have to get nervous about it because it doesn't make him a sinner. He was made sin. Why? Because of the great exchange. Everybody say, great exchange. Jesus took on heaven. You and I didn't deserve to go to heaven. He is heaven. He, was, he, was gonna, he lived in heaven. He was there for eternity. But God was not prepared to give up you so that he could hold on to his son. Remember John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Hang on, he's called the firstborn over here. Now he's called, back here, he's the only begotten. What's he talking about? Well, when the first Adam was created, he was also the son of God. The Bible says that he died in that son. God literally lost his family and all he had was one son left. And God could have been selfish and said, if my one son dropped the ball and I put this son in the earth, he could also be tempted and drop the ball. Then what I do? And he could have selfishly held on to Jesus for all eternity and had one son. But God so desired you. He so desired to have a family. He so wanted you to be in heaven more than you ever wanted to be there. That in his great love, he was prepared to sacrifice that one son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Come on, give Jesus praise if you got a hold of that. And then verse 17 of John 3 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That the world through Him might be saved. Family, God is not condemning the world. I said, this dispensation, God is not condemning the world. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. How dare you and I take it upon ourselves to condemn them. We have no right and we have no privilege to condemn anybody. I don't care how bad and how evil someone is. Jesus loved them enough to die for them and make the great exchange available. And you and I are the voice to that exchange. You and I are carrying that gift and offering it. And so no matter how much somebody's hurt you, no matter how much someone's turned against you, pray for them, love them, and keep bringing them to Jesus. And someone say, Amen.
The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 that Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Literally purge your conscience from dead works. Family of God, allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from a sin consciousness. As long as the devil can keep you focused on sin and what you've done wrong and things that you're doing wrong, we will never be able to move into the fullness of what God has for us. I have to start seeing myself as righteous. Because sinners sin. That's what sinners do. Righteous people write. You getting this? If I am righteousness conscious... I will live out being right instead of trying to fight off sin. Oh, come on. You've got to get a hold of this. How many Christians are struggling and battling? I wish I couldn't sin. I wish I didn't sin. Become righteousness conscious. Everybody say righteousness conscious. Come down to look at verse 6. Hebrews 8, verse 6. Hebrews 8, verse 6. He's obtained a more excellent ministry in that he is the mediator of a better covenant. Now come with me to Romans chapter 8. Look at this. Verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Why? So that He might be the firstborn... Among many brethren. The firstborn among many brethren. Family, get a hold of this. When Jesus died on that cross and he went to hell, he was in death. Then God cried out, my God, you, your throne is forever and ever. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Read that in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. And in that he raised Jesus from the dead. What happened? The Holy Spirit entered into him. His spirit came back to life. He was born from dead to life. He was alive. He died and was born again. I said he was born again. He's the first born again man. He didn't become another creature. He didn't become something weird out of hell and then come back into life as some another different person. He came as a human, born again, the first born among many brethren. Why? Because then he led the rest of his disciples and they all got born again. We don't know who number two was or who the third was or who the fourth was, but we do know there's 11 and then 12 and then 70 and then 120 and then the 3,000 and then the 5,000, hundreds of thousands, millions, and somewhere in that number is you. Oh, come on, you got to give Jesus praise. Say, Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Get a hold of this. Jesus came back to life as a man. Amen. And then as a man, he ascended on high and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Get a hold of that. 
There is a born again man in the Godhead. Hallelujah. You are well represented. And look at what he says here. And then he predestined those he predestined. He also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Lift your hand and say, I've been justified. What does justified mean? He has an easy way to remember it. It's just as if I had never sinned. Hallelujah. Justified. Say justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned. Literally, when God looks at you, he sees somebody who has never, ever sinned. Come on, give him praise. So we go back to Colossians chapter 1. Remember verse 18, he's the firstborn from the dead. Verse 9, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You are strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Come on, give your Jesus praise today. Say the great exchange. Say the great exchange means Jesus took all the sin, including all my sins. And having taken it, he paid the full price. Father is satisfied. It is paid for. When he looks at me, I am forgiven. He looks at me as somebody who has never ever sinned. I am the righteousness of God. Thank God for the great exchange. Come on, give your Jesus praise. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.